good week? Oh, big week. Mm, huge week. Big week here. <clears throat> okay, here's the thing. Before, I'm going to call it the pre-faith era. It's the, uh, the anti-faith. Anti with an E. Not like your uncle's wife. No oh, offense. Auntie. Sorry, or as you say, data. And uh, no, so you, you heard got that one. <laughs> twice. Yeah, you did it twice. It was funny. It's a, it's a thing now. Yeah. I was like, I never heard you explain a bit before. That was funny too. I had that to. Was... I had to because I was getting, <laughs> I, Faith was on the receiving end of a lot of condolences, a lot of apologies on behalf of me and other things like that. Talking about, uh, let's, let's, let's run back to this. Um, here's how much I love you. Okay, first of all, A, I help you do risk mitigation. I tell you, I tell you things that might be risks and then how you could potentially mitigate it. I know I don't get credit for this a lot, but I do that. You remember what I told you a long time ago? I think so. Okay. I said I frequently mistype your name on the Twitter. If, I, if I'm entering it in a location bar, if I'm somewhere unfamiliar, I frequently type the wrong thing. Okay. And I said, you know, <clears throat> I think I actually sent you an electronic mail about this. I said, you, if I may say my friend, should get out there. I, I do this with domain names, right? I, I, I bought 43 Fodlers. I got, I got every, so basically <laughs> right. every time that I type a typo, if it's not costly, I try to fix that by assuming that other, this is like an old school, you know, UX thing, right? Yeah. If, you, oh, yeah. if people are going to make mistake, you know, make it uh, degrade gracefully, as you like to say. Like, uh, like instead of uh, CNN, you might register CCN.com. Right. Just, uh, just in case they get it wrong. That's a Catholic camp, probably. Don't look it up. At least go to a .org. Like that White House thing. And, and I, I said this to you. I said this to you. I said this is a, a risk that you need to mitigate. And I think, to be perfectly candid, you were busy and you were probably a little bit glib. Um, let me get you the chat thing here. Yeah, get it out there. So anyway, I had a little extra time while I was eating my uh, glutens, and so I, I went ahead and took care of something for you. So, oh. yeah. So now you... Uh, <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, you've also got that. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, so now you are now also, in addition to being Twitter user Dan Benjamin, uh, with the more traditional 1M, uh, you're also now Dan Benjamin. That's great. And, and so now uh, when other people, I'm sure, I, I have to guess, I'm not a statistician, as you know, Dan, I, I'm going to have to guess this happens probably literally thousands of times a day. <laughs> yeah, yeah so literally. Thinking, when's that picture from? Uh, that would be 1991. God, you're handsome. So can you, can you put that in for the, uh, the jackals? Yeah, I'm the, dropping it in right now. Yeah. I was your first follower. So. It, well, it does have one follower, that account. It yeah. Will, it will probably have a few more. Are you going to be doing anything fun with it, I hope? I'll give you the password. It's all yours. No, I, well, I thought it would be better if you did it. Oh, cool. Okay. So like as the character of the yes, yeah. Please, because okay. I realize you've got really nothing else to do. Literally. Yeah. I could. You're in a I unique say, situation in that way. First thing I do for you is risk mitigation. And the second thing I like to think that I do is I inspire you. And so I'm thinking that as the Dan Benjamin persona, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and put an accent over that A, I think. <laughs> okay. ben Benjamin. Right. <laughs> I could actually inspire you to pick up your guitar again and, oh. and literally start jamming. Hmm. I don't know. You're following four people. Uh, you're following the real Dan Benjamin. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you're following Five by Five. Mm -hmm. You're following uh, uh, Missy Boo, and you're, you're uh, following the popular forester uh, technologist Zhao uh, uh, Yang, Jeremiah Yang. So the the thing that will be yeah. troubling is that I I predict in a very short period of time this account will have more followers than I have. You you, gosh, Dan, you're that I you, steal you your thunder there. No, Dan. No, not at all. It's just you, you, you're always talking about uh, Twitter followers. You're a very, very popular person. I think I have a quality 
follower base. It's not about quantity. That sounds like spin. I know. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. One time I made a crack. You know, I make cracks on Twitter sometimes. And one time I said something like, uh, that, like uh, in San Francisco, if uh, like something like if a mailbox got a Twitter account. Yeah, yeah. it was a funny. That was so funny. Uh, what I, I said something like if if you if a Twitter if a mailbox got a Twitter account by the end of the day it would have five hundred followers. Yeah. And a somebody went and created that, and then b I think it had like a thousand <laughs> followers. That's great. Truth is truly stranger than Led Zeppelin three. Not that. God, weird. you're a handsome man. Look at that, and you get the sleeve up. That, that Les Paul looks heavy. It was pretty heavy, and what? Uh, and I I'm fond of saying this about this picture, and I think I said it the last time, and it bears repeating. What you can't see is the Marlboro light in the tuning pegs of that guitar. <laughs> Just like Clapton. Yeah. <laughs> you put this it there, right, you, do, you, right you drop up, you it, you, it up. You drop right a up big you. solo, and then you take a drag. <laughs> Did you see the thing? Slow that, hand. We call them, we call them slow jam, <laughs> Stan, slow dan. Right. Did you... Uh, did you see that thing that's been going around the last few weeks? Um, the first major... Yeah, you just take some penicillin and knocks it right out. Are you sure? What about the shankers? Is that a thing? Can you... <laughs> I, don't, I don't mind the internal injuries and organ damage. It's the shankers I hate. Right. Those are right. the ones that not really... Yeah. Painful. That's just... That's between me and my tidy whities <laughs> But here's the thing. Um, there's this thing going around that's amazing. Uh... I guess this has been out for a while, but it just resurfaced. Uh, 1978, the first like major interview ever done with Eddie Van Halen. And it's really, I'll put it in the notes, it's really, really good. So it's this, long story short, it's this guy who goes to, uh, uh, go to, goes to a, he's a, works for a guitar player, I believe guitar players, and like an editor or something there. And he's going to, big deal, he's going to go edit Pat Travers. Does he do the tablature stuff there? No, no. I think, yeah. I, I think he does the solo. Does it convert? Mm-hmm. They have interns that do all the chords, and he uh, he gets blown <laughs> off by Pat Travers, who's got some horse and blow. He's, he looks up from his mirror, shuts him off. The guy ends up throwing hoops. His long hair comes up, starts playing. He says, "What's going on?" He says, "I got blown off by Pat Travers." He says, "Oh, that sucks. You should interview me. Nobody ever wants to interview me." Mm-hmm. Turns out, he says, "Who are you?" He says, "I'm Edward Van Halen." Hmm. He was. They were opening for the Pat Travers band. Whoa. Them and the other nobodies like Foreigner were opening for the for the Auguste Pat Travers. So, mm. I'll put in the show notes. I'm having some ibuprofen. Mm. How you been? Mm. I'm good. I have, I have a little, very small bit of a headache right now because I, uh, I'm good. Uh, a little headache now because I think I'm carrying too much stuff in my backpack, and that gives me a headache. Uh, are you talking about the same kind of backpack that George Clooney was referring to? In uh, the movie Up in the Air. No, I, I'm talking about the one, I think you're thinking of Three Kings. That's the one with uh, Frank Sinatra, uh, where Frank Sinatra has the uh, Timbuktu bag. Is that the one? No, I think you're thinking of Game of Thrones. That's the one with the uh, the short person. I think you're thinking of the Guided by Voices song, Game of Pricks. So, I have not heard this. Is this uh, something what? Casey Kasem talks mm-hmm. about? Okay. Okay, uh, so busy week, good week. You e- sent me an e- electronic email that literally woke me up this morning. My phone beeped, and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you something intimate, Dan. Um, there's about six people that are in my special away find account where I get a bloop when they email me. Okay. You are one of those people. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Am I the only only uh, co-host in that, or does Adam get get in? I think Adam would be number one. <laughs> 
He's number one. What is Adam the co-host of? Just roughly, what is that? Is he, um, did you get you're, the, you're the man now. Y T M N. You're the man now. Dog. Okay. Dog. You're the man. No. Okay. Uh, or something I, with something that starts with a Y and it's all a bunch of letters. Oh, you look like a dog today. Here we go. Complete 1978 interviews. Uh, and so I woke up and you had sent me an electronic mail about you had an idea for today. Yes. And we we usually if there were a pie graph for this, maybe uh, your buddy. Uh, your buddy uh, Chart Boy could make us a, a chart for this. I think if there were a pie graph, like right, <laughs> Nokia's interest in this space is uh, problematic at best, he could he could do <laughs> this bar is this bar is blue. <laughs> oh my god, it's brilliant! Wow. And no, no, with love. I don't know. I don't know what country he's from. He seems really smart. You, uh, if we were a pie graph for this, I think a very very large piece of the pie, comprising almost all of the pie, would be that we don't have a topic. Uh, the very uh, small and almost tasteless, disgusting slice would be when I come up with a topic. But periodically, you have a topic. Yeah, once in a while. Mm-hmm. And even more so than me, you usually, I think, have a topic when when it's a bee in your bonnet, when it's a, when it's a bug in your grill. Yeah, I would almost when say that's the only a, time, maybe the only time. Shanker in your shorts. And so, what is the idea? that you had for a topic today? Well, I think if I remember my own email correctly, uh, I'm paraphrasing, was perhaps something along the lines of, what do you do when, uh, what was the word that I used? Some kind of... Uh, Can I quote you? Yeah, go, go ahead, call her. Uh, Merlin, you're my favorite host and a real earner. <laughs> it's awesome <laughs> right. that we finally have the opportunity right. to spend quality time together again away from your family. Yeah. I'm sorry that I'm frequently late for calls. And things that we've agreed to at a certain time on the calendar, right, but right. I think I more than make up for it by all the nice things I say about you when you're not there, whether or not I know you'd hear it. And you went on to say, "I have a few ideas <laughs> for today's show, but wanted to hear if you had anything so I could brainstorm about it." It's a good sentence. It might be interesting to get your take on how to manage time uh, right, right, right. when there are unreasonable demands. Unreasonable demands. Unreasonable demands put upon you. Mm-hmm. Not so, just at work, but at home or it's it's, it's huge. It's huge. And it's it's a great it's a great topic. And I as I hope we can explore, I think it is a an ideal extension of the something something priority talk that we do a lot. You know? We we end up going because of me and the way I think, we tend to go up in the clouds a lot about this priority stuff. And sometimes there's not a practical component of that or component as you say. And I think the unreal unreasonable demands part like touches on so much of this stuff. In the most practical of ways. Because that's, no matter what your priorities and all that crap are, you're just going to be set upon on all sides by people who haven't the slightest clue what you're capable of doing for them. Right. But, but I, I would like, so do we agree? Is that a good topic? Um, I, I suggested it, so I'm in love with it. I think it's the yeah, best, I, best topic I, ever. I agree with both of us. <laughs> um, can you either define, no, screw that. Well, give me an example. What, what's, uh, and don't use me because that'll, that'll upset me. But what's another unreasonable demand that you can think of? What's the kind of thing that's an unreasonable demand? Well, I mean, I think for, you know, we've, we've been chastised and we've basically become pariahs of the podcasting community for more than one time mentioning that we were parents. Mm. But I, I feel like a lot of the demands <laughs> that, that. I'm sorry. My brain's just stuck on the idea of, of how anyone is not a pariah of the podcast community. <laughs> you got, what do you got? You got that, uh, you got that guy, you get that guy who's mad at Dane Cook. You, you got, uh, you got like Chris Hardwick. 
and you got uh, Ira Glass, and pretty much the rest of Everybody us else. might as well be tree ferns. Like, you know, really like uh, Gisnariots. I don't know. <laughs> so what, uh, but what I was thinking about parenting, uh, parenting, there are a lot of, I believe, unreasonable demands that, that are placed on you when you're trying to, just trying to do a good job as a parent. Because everything, I just read another thing that came up, a uh, study that was done that showed that SpongeBob SquarePants is, uh, it <sighs> literally ruins mm-hmm. a child's ability to concentrate. And they did some tests where they had, uh, they had three groups. The first group of kids, and I don't, I don't remember their ages, but then let's, let's say it was five. The, a, non, a non-diverse group of approximately 60 kids were shown some SpongeBob. And they watched the SpongeBob. Mm-hmm. And then uh, there's two other groups. One other group watched Caillou. Mm. You ever watch Caillou? B, yes. A, I've read this article. Don't get me started. C, yes, I've seen Caillou. And then C. Ugh. How about their whining? Did they test their whining and their Canadianness? They Was just had ch- them. They just had them draw. So two two groups watched TV. One SpongeBob. One Caillou. And the third one was just given, I guess, some crayons and paper and said encouraged to draw. And then they te- they. After doing that for a certain amount of time, whether, you know, a few minutes, they tested their ability to answer questions or, or respond or act like a human being or something. I don't know what it was. Mm-hmm. And the ones that had watched SpongeBob were, you know, disaffected and angry and, you know, punched the interviewers and vomited. Yes. Uh, and then the, the ones that watched Caillou were, you know, average. And the ones that drew actually, you know, preemptively answered the interviewer's questions in, in a foreign language they were unfamiliar with previously. Mm-hmm. And Oh, yeah. So yeah. Then, and then in real life, you're like, well, look, you know, if I put SpongeBob on, he'll leave me alone long enough for me to make dinner. And if mm-hmm. I put on Caillou in 30 seconds, he'll be sticking his hand in the oven again. <laughs> now, I don't know if this qualifies as an unreasonable demand, yeah, uh, but it, it's certainly difficult. But the unreasonable demand for me comes in, you know, you're you, as a parent or as a busy person in general. You're there are a lot of things that you try to do. You're, you're trying to do a lot. You're trying to be a good parent. You're trying, which in and of itself is an unreasonable demand. You're trying to excel at, at your job or in your career. Uh, you're trying to, you know, I don't want to get into the whole like ridiculous work life balance thing, but these are these are things that. Uh, that are big issues. And then within each one of those, within the workspace, for example, you have, I mean, so often, especially early in my career, I was given what anybody would call unreasonable deadlines. And these were things that in many <laughs> cases, your your job would depend on them, or, or you'd be given a project and the client would, you know, they'd say, well, we need this stuff and we still need it in the same time frame. And you say no. And they're like, well, you know, then, then you lose the contract. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe those are bad examples. For me, it always comes back no, to the parenting thing because because what I'm really struggling with is that is that balance between how do you be a good dad or a good parent, and also put the kind of focus on your job or your career that I feel like I, I need to be putting into it. Uh, you know, I mean, those kinds of things, and and it feels very unreasonable. At the end of the day, you're like, I I don't even know where. Like, what house am I? Who whose life is this? What the, what the heck's happening now? You know, like, how did I, how did I get here? Like 20 minutes ago, I was, you know, asking this girl out on a date and now we've got like these kids in a house and all this stuff. And like, uh, it's, uh, you're David Byrne all of a sudden. 
Mm-hmm. Is, this no, think, is this similar to what you're thinking I would say? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, I never know what you're going to say. That's, you know, uh, I like that. You keep me on my toes. And by, uh, and by the way, um, mm. at, at the end of this article, the SpongeBob mm-hmm. article, it says that uh, SpongeBob... You may be priming the brain to be almost... You may be priming the... What's, what kind of sentence is that? You may be priming the brain to be almost ADHD-like impulsive. Right. What a horrible sense. And, and uh, they also say that SpongeBob is overwhelmingly the most popular show for children ages two to five, but it is recommended for five and up. Ugh, I got so many things to say about this. I'm going to limit it. Um, Caillou is really, really tedious. It's really... You want to hear my impersonation of Caillou's dad? Yeah, well, it's a very gentle show. You want to hear my impersonation of Caillou's dad? You ready? Yeah. Oh, no! (laughs) (laughs) This is very... Everything on the show could not be more sedate, but suddenly, if the tiniest thing happens, like if anything, anything happens, literally anything, a chair falls over. Oh, no! (laughs) It sounds like... It sounds like... It sounds like you're in a large glass building in London as a blitz is beginning. Oh, no! It's excruciating. Now that I'm four, punch. Uh, no, you know, I get that. I get that. I think, well, there's several things about this. The, um, what they're saying is that the, the, um, the even, uh, I think the part that was so interesting, and I'm just scanning this right now on the New York Times site, um, <laughs> of course, was that uh, the, it, they're claiming that a relatively small exposure, as we say in toxicology, because the dose is not the exposure. They're different things. A uh, relatively small exposure to this uh, still has a large effect. I don't know. It could be true. I'll tell you this, my friend. Uh, Yo Gabba Gabba yeah. makes my daughter a lot more spazzy than, say, Monsters, Inc. Mm. But I don't know. You know, first, oh, okay. I got a whole thing about like, here is some something, something research that came out. Some hospital or university put out a press release and then a bunch of people wrote things about it or reported on it in NPR. Now, in NPR, for example, you never learn that they wrote it from a press release. Put differently, you can always learn whether they wrote it from a press release because the penultimate paragraph has a statistic in it. Mm. Right? And then he goes, eh, 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 and a recent report says that SpongeBob SquarePants is literally killing our children. Mm. And, you know, I mean, how many people go and track this down or go to PubLine or Medline or whatever? How many people go down and, like, actually go and read this and find out about the test? That doesn't get the headlines. That's frustrating to me. But it, this is to get past all of this, to, to the uh, nut of it. I think you're talking about two, um, <clears throat> at least two extremely related but slightly different things. So un- unreasonable demands um, really suck because they're often so extreme that you. So when your client says, "Hey, in my, <laughs> like in my day, I want you to make a um, a best of breed." A website for purchasing premium carpeting on the internet for twenty five dollars mm. by like tomorrow, it happens. Uh, that would, in retrospect, seem very unreasonable to me. Not least because I may have other people who want to have that same stupid deal, and it, you know it would be actually impossible to do all those things. So, for example, look at something like all the information we get about health stuff, right? And all the things about how, you know, vitamin D is good for you. Vitamin D is bad for you, you know? So, so on the one hand, an unreasonable, uh, expe- or unreasonable demand might be something like literally never drink milk again. And that, 
I don't know if that's reasonable or not. If you think milk is poison, then you should avoid it. But you hear this stuff, whether you're a parent or a person or whatever, it's the categorical nature of some of these things that makes them most unreasonable because they're not sustainable, right? There's nobody, very few people are perfect at everything all the time about all things. And by very few, I mean none, right? So yeah, do you agree so far? I mean like, or in this case, let's get specific, specifically to what you're talking about. You talked about the time, like, oh, you know, if my wife and I want 10 minutes to talk. I, I mean, I, gosh, I, I like my daughter almost as much as the Beatles. <laughs> and she still drives me crazy because my wife and I, my wife and I haven't had like a conversation more than a couple minutes in almost four years. No, it's I really, know. you got to do it after bedtime and then you're tired and breaking bad. You don't like, even want, you don't even want to talk anymore. Then the well, and your wife, your wife always wants to talk. She'll talk any time of day. You wake her up at 3 a.m. And she's ready, she's ready to talk. Uh, for me, uh, at the end of the day, the last thing in possible that I want to do is talk. I can, can I tell you what was discussed in the bed after three episodes of Breaking Bad last night? Can I tell you what the, what the pillow talk was? Yeah. Effect of SpongeBob. That's what we talked about. Really? That came up. Yeah. That no, was the no. topic. Did you see that article? Yeah, I saw that article. Yeah. No, this is the kind of stuff you have time to talk about before you fall asleep. Yeah. Anyway, that's some tying it all together. But uh, no, you don't have time to talk. You don't have time to talk. So what do you do? In your case, you say, oh, wait, what do you do? I got to drive across the uh, United States with, with, uh, with a kid. You know, kids don't love sitting in a car. I'm going to hand on the iPad, right? And you want to have 10 minutes to talk to your lady. You let them watch the SpongeBob or whatever. Yeah. Now, for, for, you know, all we heard for years, and I think this is true. This is not a good, bad, or indifferent thing. But for years, we heard, like, until the kid is two, they shouldn't even know you have a TV. Right. Like, don't even have a TV, right? And, and you know what? I bet there are a lot of people that, that can do that and do do that, and, and God bless them. But that, for me, I would say that is a pretty extreme point of view that as bad a person as I am would disrupt the way that I just have done stuff in the past. And it's really, really extreme. Now, for the sake of argument, let's say on the other side, there's suddenly uh, the New York Times publishes another study from some something that says your child should be watching at least 16 hours of TV a day. Oh, wow. Gosh, I wish. I know, I know, right? (laughs) But That would be like, that's the dream. That's that's obviously a terrible example. There are other things, there are other kind of health-related examples that might be better. You know, gosh, look at at, uh, the paleo versus the vegetarian stuff. Maybe that's a false dichotomy. But I think there are a lot of people who would say, like, uh, eating animals is awful because you killed them and they're dead and now you're going to die because you eat animals. And then other people are going to say, it's terrible that you're not eating animals because we are animals that eat other animals. That's how our bodies work. And that's kind of irreconcilable. But, like, put yourself in between those two people. On the one hand, you, have, you, you could have somebody demanding something of you or suggesting something of you that is really extreme and will require a ridiculous amount of change in you. And then somebody else wants the same thing, only the opposite. That, to me, is the distinction. Okay. The, no, the, I like this. I like you this. Got a, when you take unreasonable demands, you're kind of screwed. Yeah. But when you take conflicting unreasonable demands, it's, it's the recipe for making crazy. And I think that somewhere near the heart of all of this is where if you've gotten all that up in the cloud stuff straightened out about your priorities and this and that and blah, 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 blah you might be a little bit better off. But I still think you face, I said this in that Pixar talk uh, uh, last week, it's like you are going to face this like on every side all the time. There's going to be all these people who have absolutely no reason in the world to know or care what's up with you. And you're going to be tested all the time by these imperatives. And so anyway, this is a, a roundabout kind of 
prologue to this, but I totally agree with you. I think, but I think in addition to unreasonable demands, there are conflicting demands. And then there's just the fact that we're human beings who are imperfect and do need to talk to their wives sometimes. And quite frankly, in my case, I really, really, really like watching Monsters, Inc., which kind of makes me a bad person probably. But I don't know. Is that... So, but besides, I'll give you what are other examples besides the parent stuff? Because people hate that. Yeah, people don't. Oh, they hate that. Yeah. They really do hate that. Okay, look, let's, let's put it this way. Let's say you heard that if you show uh, your cats SpongeBob SquarePants right. for a few minutes when they're kittens, so cute. Um, <laughs> if you show them SpongeBob SquarePants, then they're going to have ADHD like um, symptoms. Right. But if you show your cats when they're kittens, Caillou, um, see, that would be difficult because those are conflicting, uh, you know, demands. Look at that kitty. I don't know. There's other I like examples. That. Of no, I like that sound bite. I think, you know what it is though? You know, this is, and, and this is where I get back to what I call the black box job, right? That whole idea that you, me, any of these people, everything we do. I mean, even if you're a plumber or you're whatever, like, you know, you, the, you don't really... You don't want the plumber like telling you every single aspect of how they're fixing your john, because it doesn't matter. And what matters is that the john didn't work, and uh, and now hopefully it's going to work. It's a zero or a one, and you kind of don't care how the zero became a one. That's true for plumbers, and I think it's really really true for knowledge workers. And the problem is like if that plumber found him or herself with people demanding that they all be fixing their toilets, six different toilets at exactly the same time, it, it's, now it's completely up to that guy to reschedule, to deal with that. The emotional impact of people saying my toilet is broken, right? You know, we walk around and like, would you ever accept seven invitations to the same Chris, to, to Christmas parties in different states at 7 p.m. all on the same night in uh, early December, right? Right. Well, I don't, I gotta go to their party. Well, it's, it's a seven o'clock uh, seven o'clock Pacific in San Francisco. Oh, I'll definitely go. We well, should go to this other guy's party too. It's it's at four uh, four Eastern in New York. Oh, I've, I've got to go to that too. Well, you couldn't do that, and that's why you're a grown up and not a crazy person. But I don't know. I don't know if that's getting at it. But to me, the people who sent you those invitations weren't talking to each other. You, you know, you are the, the the part of the black box job that's so interesting is not just that what you do is sort of opaque to other people, is that you have to maintain all those relationships and all the stress and pressure of managing all that solely on you. And faith. It's nice to acknowledge that. So what do you what do? You do? What do you do? Um, I have some ideas. Right. Um, I, for a long time, I was, uh, when I was talking a lot about the Inbox Zero stuff, I, uh, oh, was that with, you? That was you? No, that was me. Me and me and Adam worked on that together. Adam Adam Lissigord, Lonely Sandwich on Twitter. I, I, I think that's his name. Oh, he's awesome. Um, very talented. Are they still doing the Put This On campaign? I think that's still happening, right? I think on? I think they are. I only only follow Adam directly. I don't really I'm not really aware of what else he does. Just right. more or less what his movements are through the day. Getting the newsletter. <laughs> Get a low jack on him, so you can always know. Yeah. Um. I had this uh, kind of like a sort of a breakthrough, a little mini breakthrough for me was um, 
after I kind of graduated past this, I like, like uh, get really good at managing your email kind of stuff, which used to seem like the solution to me. I realized that one reason a lot of that stuff is for not, in my opinion, is because uh, of what I've come to believe really constitutes an inbox. And I think I've said this on here before, but I think it's worth repeating that to me, an inbox, whether that's email or, um, you know, your mailbox at home, or in fact, really all of the people in the world, any potential source of stuff for you becomes an inbox if it holds things that are um, unknown, um, uh, what is it, unknown, um, ambiguous, or incomplete. And that's what makes it complicated. Is like if you knew everything that was in your inbox, then it wouldn't be stressful if it never changed. But then, you you know, if it was like, you think about the the drawer that you keep your forks in, Mm -hmm. you know, if suddenly there were extra forks in there that you hadn't put in there, that would be weird. Mm. But if there was an invitation to a Christmas party in there one day, that would be super weird. And you would stop trusting that as a place where you just put stuff and things didn't change. Right? And yeah. that's what makes, that what makes, the, what makes that stressful. I, I think this is somewhat analogous because part of what makes the expectations part so hard or the demands part, because I mean, those go hand in hand, right? I mean, somebody makes a demand of you and Im- implied in that is some expectation that you'll do something about it. Otherwise, it would just be... It's not, you know what I mean? The demand part has another component, which is the expectation. Well, how in the hell did you ever expect that I would do this thing that you felt empowered to now demand? Well, that sucks. Like, if you tell me something and it's something I feel I can't do and you feel I must do, well, that's going to be something we'll have to work out. And now it's my problem. But on the other hand, um, I may not even know what people's expectations are. You know, when we always joke about all this stuff, like, oh, you know, people want to hear about Markdown. They don't want to hear about Markdown. Uh, you know, <laughs> um, more fish, less fish. Like, whatever it is, like, it's impossible to control what other people want or expect. And yet you become the nexus for managing all of that. And I think that's stressful. So there may be unknown expectations and demands. There may be ambiguous um, expectations and demands. And there certainly are going to be a myriad of incomplete expectations and demands. And uh, the thing that binds all of them together is that other people may care about all of them a lot more than you. And it's kind of up to you at the very least to even get to even like have to process all of that. But then also to have to be the one that breaks the bad news of going, well, actually, I've got this other stuff going on right now that doesn't work with that. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Nailed it. Yeah. Um, I think there are ways that you can try to deal with that. Is that a pencil? There was a little plastic thing that uh, I used to remove the plug in the inflatable... The ball? Uh, Swiss ball. Because <laughs> I was just pumping it up before the show. I have to get pumped up for you, so I have to mm-hmm. inflate the ball, because usually by the end of the show it's a deflated... Is that because he fidget? No, it's because my ego is slammed repeatedly. Hmm. I think my head feels big. They're, hmm. Giant. Hung like a donkey, my head. <clears throat> That's old Gil. Old Gil. Really needs this one. I think there's ways to combat that, but <clears throat> it's. I had this. I, I think I've mentioned this in, uh, this really poor analogy on here before, but I think it's it's at least it's a funny bit, you know. You can imagine somebody uh, 
I think I've said this recently, so I apologize. I said it in that talk the other day too. But like, let's say you're like like the big senior vice president, or you're like a C level in your company. Let's say now, let's say more like you're a director or vice president, and you get this email, this really uh, fevered email from somebody who says, "You got to come fix my printer." Have I told this before? Mm, keep going. Yeah. Right. So you you get this email, you get this email, and you get this frantic email from somebody. Maybe it's CC to fifty people, whatever. You get this frantic email from somebody going, um, "You have to come fix my printer. My printer is broken. Uh, please do your job and come and fix the printer." Well, now if you're like a vice president or a director or something, <clears throat> there's probably a, a an excellent chance that that has absolutely nothing to do with your job, right? Yeah. But the point is, you, they sent that email to you, and they don't really care so much about what your job is so much as like getting their printer fixed. And so you're in this awful dilemma where on the one hand, you could write them back and say, hey, listen, I'm actually kind of a big deal here and it's not really my job to fix the printer. Or you could ignore it because obviously this person is mental and just CC it to a bunch of people. But you're totally screwed either way, right? Because if you write that person back and say that, well, first of all, now you're the dick. Their printer is still broken. And now you like, now you're fancy. I guess you could go try to get him fired or something. But, but on the other hand, if you don't write back, then now you're also the dick. In any case, no matter how well you handle that, the whole like, I'm not fixing the printer guy situation, no matter how well you handle that, you still have to handle it. If you don't handle it, it's a problem. Mm. If you handle it really well, it, it's also a problem because now you're burning cycles on that. And if you don't think that happens more than once every decade, well, ask yourself how many emails you get, for example, that contain stuff that are not relevant to you, um, have nothing to do with what your job really is. I can't tell you how many people send me like, and I, first of all, sick is right. I'm really grateful that anybody is aware of anything I do. But I get all these like really these angry toots and emails from people who are like, why, why you don't like Flash? So why, why are you running Flash on your Tumblr site? And it's like, ah, uh, because that's what Tumblr uses. <laughs> I don't. How, how could you? How dare you use a site that embraces Flash? And yet, and I completely understand what they're saying. I totally understand. I can understand how that seems hypocritical. I can understand that that is annoying. I can understand. Sir, I have to open Chrome. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't have a way to switch Tumblr over to HTML5, and I also don't have. Um, it doesn't bug me that much that I'm just going to go find something else to use. So obviously it's my fault. This is not a bitch session, but I'm just saying that's the kind of thing that we all face all the time, right? Is somebody going to fix my printer? And you say, well, it's not really my job to fix the printer. And so to me, that, that, that becomes complicated and it becomes, uh, as you would say, an artful thing, a black art uh, to deal with people and trying to manage that well. Because if I don't write back to that person who says, hey, what's the deal with the Flash? Well, I could do that. But like, how many, how many times should I be expected to do that even though there will always still be another person who does that, right? I'm probably way off topic. But no, I, I, think, I like I, this. I, I think these are the kinds of things that everybody... If, there are, if people are really honest with themselves, these are the kinds of things that they'll always face. And when people say that they're really overwhelmed by things, <clears throat> and when they, people say that they are, they've got more that they, than they can do... I think sometimes it's useful to ask how many of those things just kind of flitted in over the transom and just never got processed as to whether they should have been there in the first place. But I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I mean, like, like I've said this before, but um, I think in some ways becoming an adult 
is, or really in particular a parent, learning to become a, an adult means becoming the kind of hypocrite you can live with. <laughs> Have you said that on our show? I don't know. Which one is this? This is, is this, you're the man now, Doc. Is this the one with the cereal? That's the other one. That's the other one. <laughs> I'm not even going to ask. Just saying, no, I'm not even going to ask. I'm not going to ask. Did you listen to it? Which? <sighs> Which one? You look, you look nice you today, know, the other one? Can I just say, Dan, it's an unreasonable expectation for me to expect you to listen to the extremely excellent episode of your show where I sat in for you as a friend. An epi- well, an episode like that, you don't listen to too soon. You want to let it uh, right, it's like, mature, like a, like a, like a it's wine. Like, like the pig. Like a pig. One leg at a time. One leg. Just get through the bananas. Like a pig. Yeah. <clears throat> I've, had, I've had several uh, people tell me that that episode of the talk show uh, was... Uh, no, you know what? I'm not going to say it. I'll tell you afterwards. Best ever. No, but that reminded them uh, a lot of uh, classic You Look Nice Today. And I took that as a giant compliment. Yeah, what happened in that show? Did you, you haven't done one of those in a couple of years, right? Is your Skype dropping? I think mine is. No, it sounds really good. Drop, drop. Really there clear. it is. Okay. There are ways to combat this. Uh, I have a, a very good pal uh, named Michael Ferguson that everybody should know. I think he's, he's, I think, I always get this wrong. I think he's actually Michael on Twitter, which is really weird. Like just the word Michael. Isn't that the worst? It's like uh, Justin. Or, or Michael with his last name and nobody calls him Michael in real life because somebody got Mike. He's a uh, Michael Jammin. Now, Michael, Michael Ferguson, we went to college together. Um, oh, the Ferg. The, uh, the Ferg. Yeah, you know, the Ferg, sure. The Fergenmeister. Yeah. The Michael, Michael Heimer General. Him and the Dorf, they used to always hang out. Ferg on golf. <laughs> <laughs> local, local band, Tallahassee, had a seven-inch called Dorf on Ludes. I just thought that was funny. Because um, he was short and he played golf. Uh, Michael, uh, his company... Um, got acquired by Ask Jeeves in 1999. But from 95 to 99, he had his own company with his partner, Penny, uh, business partner, Penny, uh, called Jack of All Trades. And, you know, this is back before, like, every douchebag had a made-up stupid title on their card. And uh, the first time I ever saw that was Michael. And Michael's title was Manager of Expectations. <laughs> and, I, you know, at the time, I was just starting to do more, you know, kind of pseudo-project pro- uh, project management stuff. And I just, I think that's the best title ever. I'm Michael, and I am the manager of expectations. Because in some ways, that's what a project manager does. That's what, my God, that's what a lot of people do, right? Your job is to accept that there are an unlimited number of things that anything could be. Um, Well, I mean, this is knowledge work in a nut in some ways, is that you acknowledge that there are an unlimited number of things that something could be. And instead of me trying to be all of them, or just guessing, like, I'm going to pick the one that I think is best and, and, and give that a throw... But I'm also going to really get you okay with the idea that a big part of this thing that each of us does is, is not doing everything and not getting everything and not having everything for the budget you fantasized on the crazy-ass date that you pulled out of your butt. To me, that's, you know, that's such a valuable skill today to be able to manage expectations. I, I, can, I can still remember. It was one of the first times I ever heard that phrase. I thought it was so douchey. But now I think it's... Uh, just one of the best skills you can learn, you know? I think one of the best skills to learn is the ability to slow down your reactions. Just wanted to throw that out there. 
I agree. It's so that you can think Me about too. it, or so that you can have, mm, so you can think about it, or so you can have like emotional distance, or what's the reasoning? Mm. <laughs> so that you can, as and really just going back to what you were saying a little bit earlier, and and, and not to go too far back to the parenting thing, but ha- being able to get that slight distance to just be able to catch yourself before you embody whatever the emotion or feeling strikes you the kind of and i'm i'm not saying i do this all the time but when you can when you can do it you have a, a very different perspective on you know on demands or whatever it is that's that's being placed on you if, for example if you're if you're pushed into a situation like that you're not what's your natural reaction it's probably anger frustration or or fury right tell me again what you mean if you if you're put into a situation where there are unreasonable demands placed upon you. Mm-hmm. I'm still just hung up oh, on what you said oh, like see, 10 I, minutes I, ago. Which, which part? I'll just keep going back to it. Which part? Just wh- where, where, you're in, where you're in that situation, you're being given unreasonable demands, you're being required to do things. Oh, okay, I think I understand. It's, it's, so is the I'm still answer, just, I'm still hanging back on that. Uh, I think my answer would be uh, you become really emotional. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's very hard. To, I mean, it's very hard for people, and myself included, in general. I mean, it's just very hard to get that kind of perspective and be able to take take a step back from that. And the only way that I found that it works is is to just slow down, slow down, try to slow it down, try to slow down your reaction, try to be non reactive for three seconds. Mm-hmm. How how often do you need to have an immediate reaction to something? How frequently? Mm-hmm. How frequently does a uh, has it a momentary hesitation in responding emotionally to something? How often would that harm you or hurt or hurt somebody? I mean, I, I'm not talking about if you have to avoid a collision in your car, but I'm talking about in just in, in, in that, you know, how we said early on, I forget which episode this was in one of these early episodes. Yeah. Like, are you your thoughts kind of, thing? are you your thoughts? But we were talking about how you're just like a guy in a room like sitting there in front of a computer and like nothing's actually, <laughs> nothing's really happening right, right now, you know? And if you, if you put it in that perspective, but the, the problem is for so many people, the, the situations that they find themselves in, the, like the ones you were describing, are, they're so very difficult because it seems like there's no way out. And the reaction most people have when they feel like there's no way out or they feel trapped or they feel... Uh, limited in that way, is is to become very emotional. That, and it's hard to you know that's fine for Merlin mm-hmm. to just you know take a, a breath and whatever, <laughs> but you know a lot of people you know they can't, they're not internet uh, superstars and they can't just you know walk around town hey big <laughs> shot you know whatever I get to do whatever I want no, I do whatever I want I could take all uh, of the time yeah, maybe I want. I'll go to Pixar whatever why not I don't have a job yeah I'll fly there on my rocket car <laughs> it's made out of blogs <laughs> you know what I mean though I do I know exactly what you I mean want, the, I answer, want... the answer is almost never yeah there's like there's not I don't really remember the original question but that's what a I'm good answer. To say it's is, all, that's always a good answer almost never 
Well, almost always it's a good answer. The I think that uh, there's very few times, and I mean, just to beat my old drum, uh, you know, how, <laughs> how often do you need four-minute-old information to do your job? Well, then why are you checking email every five minutes? Like, mm-hmm. how often does it benefit you to have an immediate... Um, and not, you know, let's, let's be clarify, too. I think when somebody says... Um, what when somebody says Cliff Robertson died, going, oh man, that sucks. I really like Cliff, Cliff, Cliff Robertson. I think that is a totally sane emotional reaction, right? Um, to say like, oh, Cliff Robertson died, and you go, I'm gonna gut you. I'm busy. Like now that <laughs> right, <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna gut you. <laughs> it's maybe <laughs> it may be reasonable. It's certainly emotional. Um. But, you know, back to that old crack. And I mean, when I did that talk, we should talk about the Pixar thing a little bit now that we can talk about it. But I, I the 27 priorities uh, anecdote mm. was a kind of, a, I don't know if it was an effective linchpin, but it was a big part of the trying to ground this presentation. And the notion that there's a presentation is called what is a priority. And the idea is um, that by having sort of different definitions of that, whether we realize it or not, we introduce a lot of potential misunderstandings at work. And more importantly, when we use priorities, the word priority without heavily introducing scarcity, we're creating relatively impossible situations for ourselves because that's the whole point of a priority. It's like you can't have more than one number one, right? Um, and so what was my point? Every, all of my priorities are my number one priority. Did I show you that? Did I show you the, the greatest slide in the history of forever? <laughs> I did like that slide. There were no sound effects, but it was great. Yeah, I should have done that. I put in show notes for today. Um, the point was that what was my point? Pixar visual equivalent of being told you're eating human flesh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's just really creepy looking. <laughs> it was look at that. Look at that. Look at little, little John Cryer. That's weird. Him. He looks like a baby. He looks like one of those like Wayne Brothers babies. <laughs> like he's smaller than everybody else in the, in yeah. the photo somehow. If Fashion Cutcher was my dad, I'd lock my door. When did he get that Hanson hair? <sighs> Is that in style? I don't know. He's got like an Elvis Costello beard. And I don't have it in front of me right now. But in that photo, he's got like Hanson hair and a Costello beard. <laughs> and it does not and he's work. he's very, very, very well airbrushed. Did you know he posts photos of his, of his lady in her underpants? Did you know that? Can I see these? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw it on today. There's a, a Demi, I saw Demi Moore's... Uh, uh, How do, what do I Google for? It's a twit pic, I think. I mean, I can understand being proud of your work and, you know, the, the, <laughs> way, the way that you've decided in life. But, um, oh, crap. You know, I'm going to listen to this. I'm going to be all mad because I'm not going to remember what I was going to say. Uh, so, so, so talking about priorities, the thing is, um, don't come back to me. Um, oh, 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 the emotional part. Um, oh, yeah, the 27 priorities person. That, that uh, you know, by using those words differently, we have these problems. Um, priorities. But you know what? Can I tell you the truth? I, I had a, I had a really bad lunch, and I think I got a sugar issue now. What did you eat? Uh, two fried chicken legs, some fried rice, and six uh, uh, pork chow mai dim sum. That doesn't sound good. I get, I get a Snapple. Hang on, because that that'll fix everything. <sighs> Made from the best stuff on earth. <sighs> um. The emotional part is hard um, because I think our natural inclination when we get really built up and uh, oh yeah, the point of the story was, so 27 priorities lady, I need a better name than that. <laughs> she got all mad when I was saying, hey, maybe you should check email less if you're actually that busy. 
it's kind of weird that the way you show how busy you are is to check email all the time. She got all mad. Well, and the, how much does that key to exactly what we're talking about? Like she feels totally overwhelmed. She feels stressed out. And so of course she reacts emotionally, right? That's the last time, last chance, last uh, minute in the world that somebody's going to step back and go, oh, let me take a minute to think about what this douchebag with the blog is telling me, right. you know, yeah. it's totally natural. But what's, what's funny about that is that um, it, it, there's a much, much, much deeper point that we don't have time to go in here into here, but I think it's interesting, which is that for a lot of us, our first reaction is always that, how did this affect me badly? Or how could this affect me badly being our very first reaction to everything? You know what I mean? Now, I mean, so, so let's, let's generalize this a little bit. The New York Times having an article about how SpongeBob SquarePants um, is bad for your kid. Yeah. <clears throat> well, how does that at what point does that go from being just another uh, datum or datum, as you say? How does that go from being just another bit of information in the world into something into something that you consider a demand? I don't I don't want to make a straw man, but is that fair to say? Like you consider that like now this is another thing you're supposed to do? Yeah. Right. How does that go from being just a fact in the world or a statement even in the world to something that you consider a demand? <laughs> apart from apart from in your head. Yeah. Well, I, I guess because at some point, somewhere, whether it's you or somebody who you are required to work for in some capacity, it, it impresses upon you the fact that you you need to get it done. But like, uh, who's, they, who's, they, the, who's the boss in that anecdote about are you, Is the implication that you're always your own boss, even if it doesn't feel like you are? There's not. It's not a trick question. I'm just curious because I do this all the time and I'm just asking you to unpack that since it was your example. Mm. You feel like that's like a voice of... See, I'm this way with the plastic in the microwave. Like, I don't doubt <clears throat> that, you know, we could probably <sighs> find some green source of fuel that we could just hold our food over and that would be better than almost everything. But I just flatly do not understand why we can't put plastic in the microwave anymore and it makes me crazy. A lot of my whole system involves plastic in the microwave. I'm just saying. There's a lot of things where like uh, we've got stuff that we used to do. And now I got two dishes for everything. You got to store it in the plastic, but then you got to heat it up in the thing. Yeah. My wife and I talk about this. I trust her on this. I don't want to kill our kid. But that's, uh, that, is that a good, ex good example? It's like now I'm a guy who can't put plastic in his microwave anymore. I've been putting plastic in It's like, you can't, it's like something you can't unsee, right? <sighs> Absolutely. Like, like that Ashton Kutcher beard. That sounds like a it would be See, terrible the beard. Like, the beard Ag Ag isn't what, what the Christie character. Have you met the Baron von Ashton Kutcher beard? <laughs> the the beard isn't what disturbs me so much as the hair. Mm -hmm. Is that like an emo thing? I don't know. He looks like he uh, looks like a guy who jump out of bushes and grab a lady's boob. <laughs> Not in a good way. <laughs> because there is a good way to do that. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know. Clooney could probably do that. Oh, yeah. Well, but look, he's got a great haircut. Look at that guy. And a great beard. Fantastic beard. God, he's handsome. Um, but, you know, I think we all go through that. I mean, not even just for stupid parent stuff, but there's all kinds of stuff where we feel like, oh my gosh, I mean, where do you begin? Um, <laughs> you guys were joking about on the uh, Squidward show talking about Markdown and. Uh, Gosh, who even makes a distinction between HTML and XHTML anymore, right? Right. 2011. Hello. Yeah, but like, do you remember th how Talmudic were the debates about all of this stuff? In Trans transitional. Yeah, but like 2002, 2000, oh, like, oh, sure. You know what? If you want to be a punk ass bitch, go ahead. 
roll transitional. <laughs> Fine. But listen, your web page is going to literally be made out of poop in a few years if you don't go XHTML stripped. <laughs> That's right. I'm serious. I'm serious. If, if, you know what's going to happen? Machines everywhere are, are going are gonna to vomit Nazi blood if we do not have every one of these. Do you remember this? I, I felt an extreme amount of pressure to learn standards compliant design. And I never completely understood why. I kind of understood why. My take on it was that if you didn't start escaping your brakes, right, and having every tag close, that it was the equivalent of basically having a broken RSS feed. Like, in other words, you know, this, you actually can't use this. It would be sort of like John said, and we're referring to hypercritical, last hypercritical. Mm. He's talking about the, the one of the, I don't, I don't think Gruber directly meant to address this, but I like John's point about back in the day where if you tried to um, type HTML into a text area that you could submit, there's all kinds of things that could go wrong. And right. one of them was absolutely true. If you left off the closing, uh, you know, I, on a, an italicized word, the entire page would get italicized. If you cl- left off the closing bracket, <laughs> you wouldn't see the rest of the page. That's what I took it to mean. I took it to mean if you don't do this. But you know what? I, I bet there's just a whole bunch of pages in the world right now that but the code is not, wouldn't validate. Not kosher. What do you stand on that? Is this still a big deal? No, I mean, we never kept kosher and... Uh, I mean, I knew a kid that did, and, and he had the whole, you know, one set of plates for the milk, you know, dairy stuff, one for the... Mm-hmm. But did it That was CSS, mainly for his grandparents. Did his CSS still work? See, I, here's the thing. I think the way that became practical in one way... And so the idea being that eventually web pages would be kind of like XML feeds. Was that right? Is this idea that... Is this part of the whole semantic web I thing? I think like it what? was, is that... Is that that you really, really, really wanted the separation of content uh, just so that you could, not so that you could scrape the data, but so that in 50 years, the content would still be there and it would still be accessible and and the semantic web is behind everything, supporting Mm -hmm. it, propping it up in such a way so that the markup is fully separate from the content and just there to support it as opposed to style it on the screen. And just to be clear, though, a lot of the, I mean, I'm not a technology person. I don't understand computers. But I think one <laughs> nice one nice side benefit of all of that Mark Pilgrimism and and, uh, and all that evangelism for standards and stuff, that's, there's been many things that came out of that that were, I think, fantastic. One of them is like your buddy Zeldman, that orange book. I mean, that orange book changed my game because I really got how doing valid code meant you could do great stuff with CSS. And so if you, if you left off the end of a div tag, like that mattered. That would screw up a lot of things. But if your code was tight, you could do it for, you know what I mean? For example, you could do a lot with CSS. Look at the stuff with responsive design today. Yeah. I mean, I'm guessing you're not going to do a great responsive site with, with code that is no, unknowingly invalid. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like in order for that to work, I mean, one reason the web works as well as it works today, that all these frameworks work, is that all of the stuff that used to be voodoo is kind of taken care of now. Don't you think? It, you know, all of those things that used to be mysterious, that used to be difficult and challenging, it's, it's like a weight has been lifted. Even the tools, even the most basic tools that are available today are... are you know, that are free, the crappy free tools today are light years beyond what we had back then. Yeah. Light years. When you say free in, in kind of an old school way, but now the best tools are free. Yeah. I mean, what's jQuery cost? 
I no. will Google that. Please Google the cost of jQuery. Uh, but I yeah, mean, you don't even like, need to. You don't even need to host it on your own server. That's right. Well, there's new sites now, like sort of like you said in TextMate. You go in, you hit a couple buttons, and it spits out like all your folders and all your files. And you know, can you imagine a day when every time you wanted to start a new project, you would you would have to do all that, you know, from scratch? Or another example. I mean, it seems like um, every other week or so, there's a new like a new further abstracted. Uh, framework or wizard or something. I saw one the other day where it's like you you hit a couple radio buttons and it spits out this amazing HTML5 uh, form, template, right? Is yeah, it for and, forms, doing forms so that they look perfect I've, across all. Oh no! I, oh, you know, I have seen that. I have seen that. But this this one was to say like pick your flavors. I'm, I only did this once, and I'm not really an HTML guy anymore, so I don't know what all of it means. But you've washed your is, washed your hands of that. No, life. I just haven't kept up, and I'm lost. I'm You're so, out of the life. Yeah. Well, you never really leave. It's like being a marine. You're always a Marine. No such thing as an ex-Marine. Did you know that? I did not know that. Well, you, it's good to know because those guys can be very, very angry. They like, they, like, they like hard beds and cold chow and beat it out of podcasters. Nice. Jim, got a marker there, Johnny? Yeah, I dropped one. Johnny, Johnny ex-Marine. Um, and what was the point of all of this? Oh, just that one thing in passing is that, uh, the, but like, you know, for me, like the last thing I spent a lot of time with that is still just is a legacy thing for me is Blueprint. Like I haven't kept up with SAS. I haven't kept up with a lot of that stuff, but like it's, it just blows my mind how, you know, there were all of these, like I say, Talmudic debates about all this stuff and now that's all kind of uh, taken care of. The point of that conversation, we're off topic. We're off topic. We're, uh, we're getting close to an hour. Um, I'll tell you the phrase I use, macrame. I call it macrame. And, 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 and this is one of the reasons that I'm so angry as a person, Dan, is because of the concept of macrame. And now you may recall, you're, you're uh, a lot younger than me, but uh, there was a time when suddenly it became very important to do things with macrame. Well, there had to be owls. There had to be owls. There had to be plant holders for the many plants that right. we suddenly needed. Right, and you, just, you would never go like, "Why are you doing so much macrame?" Because suddenly, you just had to be doing macrame, and and then like so, so then the contrarians at that time would go, well, "What is wrong with you people?" And everyone would go, "Well, you don't have to do the macrame, right?" <laughs> and like then suddenly one day nobody was doing macrame anymore, and uh, the people, the contrarians, never got their credit for going, "What the hell was wrong with you?" Because like, well, of course we don't do macrame. No, nobody does macrame anymore, you know. And, and same thing with SUVs. Right. Uh, same thing with um, it's just a million things where suddenly out of nowhere this zeitgeist comes along and you're just expected to do it. Right. And and again, this goes straight to all of these health things where people like half hear something on NPR about what's going to kill them or keep them alive and oh colloidal silver really like that's going to be your thing now. You know what I mean? These things come along and like there is I don't know a better word for it than zeitgeist, but but something comes along and suddenly there's this cultural expectation that we all do this kind of thing. Porn guy mustaches. Like, why did everybody have porn guy mustaches in the 70s? There's no, there's no good reason for that. And they, they didn't question it. The goatees, guys, the goatees. Isn't it time? Really? I'm just saying. That's the kind of pressure you feel as a parent or a cat owner, really. <laughs> um, last thing, though, on the... Because uh, we're getting long, I guess. But the... Um, the managing expectations part is part of it. Definitely. That's the second level, right? That's where you're dealing with other people and you're saying, hey, wait a minute. Let me make sure I understand what you want here. I'm not doing this to be a dick. I'm doing this to make sure I understand like what you expect of me. And then I'll, I'm going to tell you honestly whether that's something I can do in the way, 
in the time, budget, and uh, so hold on. So you're saying un- unreasonable demands are based on appropriately setting expectations or failing to appropriately set expectations to begin with. I think that's the that's the second level. This, the, yes, the second level. I'm getting to the first. You know how I do that thing where I go backwards. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because the second level is yeah, is the dealing with other people. Um, and, and like so, in our case, like in, like you know, I guess we could go and do if we're really worried about the SpongeBob SquarePants problem, yeah. we could really go track that down and find out how it squares in the context of other available information. You know, pr- frankly, I am really just over this whole. I'm going to go change my life because of something I heard on the radio. I, I, there's just that's just there's a, a lot of kids running around without vaccines now because that kind of thing happens. Mm. Like, go do your due diligence. If it's that important to you, like, go find out. Go look it up. Go read the article. Ask a friend who went to college to just look at the abstract and tell you if it makes any sense. Have somebody who knows about statistics. Look at the sampling uh, and, and what the uh, cohort was like. Right? Is this a case report? Oh, really? Wow, Malcolm Gladwell found a, found, found a case report? Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> How about a longitudinal study that shows that there's something else that's very different going on here? Why am I talking like John Syracuse? <laughs> but on the first level, you got you. And yes, you're right, Dan. The, uh, the emotional part is hard. It, the, the emotional stuff, the emotional part does not do us much good. And it can definitely run away with us. But like inside of that is this much, much deeper thing, I think, which is to understand that the, the crazy part is not what people are expecting of you. The crazy part is not the, what was the precise word you used? He goes to notation. Unreasonable. Unreasonable everything, demands, expectations, deadlines. Um, the part about that that's truly unreasonable is that you think those would ever end because you're surrounded by bananas all day long. There's all kinds of bananas happening all the time. And, and the, the only route to sanity that I'm aware of is to be aware of that and then to understand that sometimes stuff is going to happen that just can't happen and and uh, that you just you just can't do or that just is completely ludicrous you are going to get email from people who want you to come fix their printer even though it's not your job and there's not an easy way out of it and you don't have time to do it and 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 to me it's just a, a big ass stack of impossibilities that are basically the basis for what we do most of us but that doesn't mean that we should shy away from acknowledging that those things are impossible and then accepting that in order to do do a good job of the things that we do accept, we're going to have to be somewhat fearless in as much as we can stand it uh, about not tolerating the stuff that really uh, that we're not going to do or can't do. Have we ever done a show on, on like how to, how to say no? Did we do that? <laughs> we had a joke about it once, but we never, I would do it. I think that'd be a great show. It might be. I, call, I, call it the, uh, I call it the qualified yes. You know, the... Um, got to do that. Doodle, doodle that. I'll, I'll tungle it. Tungle my journal and uh, we'll doodle it. I did a uh, talk a few uh, months ago I told you about, and it was one of those, it was the one just really Was stuck. this over the next next offices? Mm, uh, B, B-O-S. Oh, no, I'm sorry, it was B next. It was over at B next, O-S. And uh, it was just so dispiriting. <laughs> I couldn't help anybody. Uh, I just didn't have the equipment. Do you cry? Tell, true, true or false? Afterwards, did you cry in the car? No, no. So it no. must not have been that disheartening. I think I listened to "Got It by Voices." Oh, I gotta get that for you, Game of Pricks. Um, oh God, it's so quotable, so freaking quotable. Um, people, these are the people who are just beaten like dogs. You remember me talking about the time where I said, "I don't know what to tell you except that wallets don't make money." Oh yeah, that was this place where it's just like I don't understand. People are demanding incredible things from us that are totally impossible, and then they change the plan at the last minute. How do you take care of that? 
<laughs> and it's like I, I you know, it's like I don't understand. I've chosen to live in a box of poop, and then people dump more poop on me. And the problem is that there's only so much poop that can fit in my box, but they keep dumping poop on me. Why aren't you helping me? I was like, well, I don't know. I guess you could really, really learn to like poop or you can learn to climb. You know, I don't have a lot. There's no chart for that. Like, you're just going to have to make some decisions about poop that I can't help you with. But one of the people there who was like at least a manager, maybe a director, when I was talking about, wow, it sounds like there's a lot of people in here who feel very... Like the situation is somewhat impossible that, as I said, that their job has become a stack. And he's like, yeah, yeah, it's tough on everybody. It's tough on me. But I have been very clear with my people that I'm really, I'm going to just keep giving them stuff and, and, uh, until they say they can't stand it anymore. I'm just going to keep giving them things and, until they're going to, I don't think he said break, but something like that. Mm. And uh, I said, well, <laughs> do they know that? Have you... I mean, do they really, I, obviously they understand that you're going to give them work until they're almost dead, but do they understand, A, that that's a little game you play, and B, that it's okay to come to you? Because I'm going to guess that it's not really okay to come to you. <laughs> I'm going to guess that that's really the way that you just talk to your golf buddies about how you're killing a bunch of pretty good people's lives. Because I think that's what's happened, right? Like, the poop problem is that there's always going to be somebody who's going to want to put more poop in your box than you'd really like to have in there. And in some ways, it comes down to a question of taste. Like, how much poop can you tolerate? Why am I talking so much about poop? <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's awful. It's really it's awful. weird. Nobody likes. Yeah, nobody likes. Nobody like, Really? Huh? Well, I have to explain that all of my co-hosts on all of my shows. <laughs> I'm just going to keep piling as much poop on my co-host as I can. Anyway, I hope that's an affirming message of poop. I mean, hope. Um. There's, 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 there's not an easy answer to that. There's, there's, a, there's a simple but not easy answer to that, which is that A, you have to accept that there are always going to be these impossibilities and these ridiculous demands. Um, yeah, they're always going to be there. But, the, but then B, you have to find your peace with what you're willing to do, say, or change um, or ultimately accept in order for that to not be a constant source of stress. Mm. Because if you think you need to read every um, issue of Fretful Mother from front to back, that's not a reference to my wife, it's a reference to The Simpsons. But if, you're, if you think you need to be on top of every scare that your local news tells you, well, that's going to take a lot of time. And if that's going to become your quote-unquote priority, well, then there's just a whole bunch of stuff that you're not going to get to do. You know? I mean, I think, I think you have to establish your own center or your own kind of like, your own sense of normal mm. about, about all this stuff. You know, you're going to have unlimited stuff coming at your attention. You're going to have unlimited, you know, demands for your time and an unlimited number of ways that you can, for example, spend your money. And in the same way that, like I say, you, you, can't, you can't make the washing machine do your laundry for you by saying you're busy. I, I don't think you can accept a bunch of whole, whole bunch of banana stuff into your life without disrupting it and without pushing out a bunch of other good stuff. So it does come back to the care stuff. It does come back to the priority stuff. But then I, I think it also comes back to knowing who you are and knowing if, you know, one, how much one article about SpongeBob SquarePants is, is allowed to make you mad. And it may be mad too. How many, how many people do you think read that? And like, that's it. No more SpongeBob for the whole uh-huh. afternoon, whole rest of the day. It's a shame. It's, uh, it's a great show. But I, you know, maybe it's true. Maybe it's true. But I mean, there's so many levels of this, Dan. I mean, where do you even begin? One thing I need to find for sure. Uh, I have been reluctant to mention because I don't know the site, but there, I think it was in the Atlantic. I might have linked to this before. Fantastic uh, profile 
on this guy who have I told you about this guy? He's the uh, preeminent uh, meta researcher. So basically, he audits other researchers' work. And he's the guy who says something like 90 or 94, it'd be great if I misquoted this, something like 90 or 94% of, of all studies that come out have some kind of fundamental bias hmm. or flaw. And he, his job is he's just done so much of this that he's great at just sniffing through these and going, well, this sample is bad. Your methodology is bad here. This, these conclusions are not in evidence and so on. Now he's got this whole like, kind of department he's building out that does this. I say this in the context of, of saying like, you know, all that stuff that was on your local news that you got to do or your family's going to die, a huge amount of that is contradictory um, because a huge amount of it is based on stuff that's not really the best evidence that we've got, right? But that's an emotional thing. You put up that headline. You say, you say to, uh, <laughs> there's a fives on this I should find, but there is, there is literally more poop on a doorknob than an actual pile of poop. That was... <laughs> Did you know that? I bet you didn't know that. I did. I did not yeah. know that. Yeah, that'd be a good way to end. Let me see if I can find it. Um, I feel that pressure. Though. Is that I real that, typing? Hmm? Do you want to talk about my keyboard? Maybe next time. We should just mention maybe in the after dark we should talk about it. Oh, after, oh, I love after dark. Uh. You you didn't do one for the last one. Hmm. Uh. Hmm. Huh. Why didn't you do one for last time? I don't. I don't remember. Is faith out to get me? Be honest. Yes. Hmm. Okay. <sighs> All right. Um, did that answer your question? Yeah, I think it you did. You feel better? Yeah. I don't. I don't know if if uh, if I know what to do, but I have more to think about. What do you What are you gonna What are you gonna do as a result of the uh, the SpongeBob SquarePants problem? <sighs> Probably no change. Yeah. Yeah, well, we're we're um yeah we're trying to dial it down. We're trying to dial it down. She uh like her dad. I think she gets a, a little cranky if she watches too much TV. Like her dad. Like her dad. Yeah. Did I, did I tell you the name of my memoir? No, no. Is this the yeah. After Dark or is this a regular show? No, it's a little show. Okay. The name of my uh, memoir. He's he's speaking in third person. <laughs> Five sweeps week, <laughs> five sweeps week features. You want you want to you want to wrap wanna, this up? Uh, want to button it up? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, I love you. Love you too. 